Where's the money? You don't have it. What do you don't have? He said something, I don't know, about his mother. But no, 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 stop. Don't tell me. Let me guess. His mother died, and the funeral set him back. Yeah? Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's a fucking mother. Fucking dying over and over for the last 10 years. Showed up. No, no. Showed up. No, no. Showed up. Oh my god. What's the problem, kid? I've got three and a half pages of notes and I'm pretty sure they're mostly disparaging. Come in with some energy, baby. You could bring it in this time if you wanted to. All right. Oh, that's a lot of pressure. All right. Yeah, I think you could do it. And welcome to the Rancid Tacos Movie Review. I'm Skylar Sanders, and Mason Weir is here with us. Rock and roll. We are reviewing The Irishman today. And, oh, I don't have a lot of good things to say about it, but it's three and a half hours, so I got plenty of notes. It's a slog. It is a slog. And that was that was what I found. Like, I paused multiple times throughout the movie just to rage stomp around my living room and go, why are they talking about this? What point are they making? Where are we going? Yeah, you've you got to get up a few times to eat and, and sleep probably when you're watching this marathon. So I would definitely stomp a few times as well. Exactly, yeah. So it, it came out in 2019, just a couple of years, last year. Mm-hmm. 96% on Rotten Tomatoes it's got. That's fucking ridiculous. I feel like they accidentally, it, 96% of the people didn't like it and 4% liked it. It's crazy because I've met people in real life that have watched it, and I've never met anyone who says, man, that was an amazing movie. Uh-huh. Yet on here, it's 96%, and the reviews, they've got nominated for awards. The reviews are glowing. I just don't necessarily see it. Well, it's simple. It's no secret. The uh, Rotten Tomatoes uh, have been paid for. So yeah, they that's were, true. They, they, they probably bought off. They were bought and sold by uh, large, by big big media uh, movies and they're, you know, they're swaying their results on movies. It's obvious now. When I was looking online, the budget for this movie, it's a big mystery, I guess, because it keeps going up and up and no one seems to know how much it is. I read that it could have been close to $250 million to make this movie. I read that too. And there's no way they got anywhere near that on the return. Did they? No, there was no, release in theaters i don't think was there it was only on netflix i don't think so like i saw something on wikipedia and you know i don't trust wikipedia too far but it said something like eight million <laughs> profit like in box office Out of 250 million <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awful that's uh, awful there's no it's, clerks it's like the it's like the who who made the movie columbia picture who made this movie i don't even know I'm not sure. Whoever made this movie was just like, all right, Scorsese, you got your cast. You got the best cast ever. This is your grand swan song. How do you want to go out? Oh, okay. Do an Al Pacino. Do a Robert De Niro. Do a, oh, Joe Pesci. You got him out of retirement? Yeah, do him too. 
Uh, Ray Liotta, what's that guy doing all selling, like, some uh, medical? They got Ray Romano to be in this movie. Oh, he was one of the bright spots, I thought. Yeah, he he wasn't bad. I I guess we should talk about the cast because it's got an awesome cast. It does. It has a Hall of Fame cast. So I guess De Niro was one of the producers on the movie as well as Scorsese. So he's got to take some of the blame for for what this ended up being. Yeah. And he's the lead, which is a joke. He's mm-hmm. he's supposed to be 24 or 25 years old at some point. How, how old did you say he was? 77? 77. Uh, 75 when he did the movie. And just imagine, without any CGI or anything, a 77-year-old man or 75-year-old man trying to act as someone who's 24 or 25. Yeah. It it looked like he was about fifty years older than he should have been. <laughs> it was the eyes. They, he had crow's yeah. feet even when he was young. They just made his cheeks rosy. Yeah, and they they made his eyes really blue. He looked like uh, I think it was the Polar Express. It's a real realistic <laughs> looking cartoon. Well, they it, use they use some like anti aging technology thing, right? This is a new thing that they're doing, right? Where they can. Just make people look younger by CGI, right? Yeah, they spent most most of that two hundred fifty million was on the CGI and, for and, the three of them, and it didn't work at all. Like the whole time, I kept saying he looks way older than he should look right now. Yeah, it, it yeah. looked terrible. It was very jarring in the first scene. There were some scenes it wasn't as bad as others, but yeah, like I wanted terrible, to, Pesci I, terrible. I, I want to play a, a game. Where we watch this movie and we try to guess what actual age Robert De Niro is. <laughs> like we guess throughout the movie, okay, this is his actual age. He's actually now playing his actual age. Yeah, because, I have no clue what it was. Because they make him older and that looks fine. And the, and he plays himself, which I think he's supposed to be a little younger. But he looks kind of like an old man. And then he plays a young man, of him, a young version of himself, which looks like an old man. Yeah, it, it jumps all around time periods. I think the one where they're driving up to Michigan or wherever, when the, the yeah. opening shot of him, I think that's what he really looks like now. Yeah. Though if you told me it was the old one, I would I would believe you. Mm-hmm. The old De Niro looks pretty bad as well. Yeah, yeah. So he <sighs> Pesci, Joe Pesci, whenever they made him CGI, he looked like a goblin, I thought. Mm-hmm. Like one of the orcs or something from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and, and I hope that was the makeup and not what his real face looks like. Yeah, no, Joe Pesci, even when he's like, so they're supposed to be younger and he's helping him fix his truck. And this is like a truck from like the 1950s and it's like the timing belt, something's wrong with it. So Joe Pesci's helping him fix his truck and he's like, yeah, good job, kid. Yeah, I, and I'm like, he's just, not a kid. A here, kid or yeah, he's like, he's here. obviously not a kid. Like, we can see him. He's not a kid. He looks like an old fucking man. And you, Joe Pesci, have still have gray hair. So, so like, what's the deal here? Like, this, all the CGI money you guys spent on this, and Joe Pesci still's got gray hair. What's what's the point? Why not just have a younger actor? That's I was. They can I was, still be in the movie. My parents, because I watched it, my parents were in the room. They were watching it with me. And I was like, are you guys – I was like w- – they heard me exclaim maybe a hundred times, like, why not just have somebody younger play these roles? Come on. 
yeah, they could have made a few a few new guys, and instead they keep throwing these old guys in there, and it looks it looks terrible. Yeah, I will say on Pacino, it didn't look as bad as the other two. Yeah, but they don't they don't really. I don't think they they make Pacino look younger for the most part because they, they pretty much just have him play as his own age, I believe. Yeah, I guess I don't know. They it said online that they they use CGI for him. But you're right. I don't think he jumps time periods very not too, much. It's not too much, time. at least. Not too much, at least. But. Yeah, and he was the best of those those three. Those are the three leads, of course. Yeah. Uh, De Niro, I guess we should talk about the plot because it's three and a half hours long. Yeah. But De Niro is a, a hitman, I guess, and not not in the mafia. He's an Irishman. He uh, is the he, Irishman. Yeah. He's the Irishman. And he's a hitman. And Russ Buffalini, what is it? Buffalino? Buffalino, yeah. He is the boss of eventually De Niro, but he's a mafia boss. And then there's Al Pacino, who plays uh, union leader Jimmy Hoffa. So that's the that's the thing that pisses me off the most about this movie, is that they, they took a really interesting subject and somehow made me bored throughout it. Because I'm a huge history buff, and I love looking at old mafioso history and and this era particularly jimmy hoffa interests me what he did what he was and they somehow took this movie and took something that i kind of like and for me and actors that i like like everything the recipe should have worked it's like you put everything in the pan you mixed up the batter you put the bed bread in the bake and then when you pulled it out it wasn't a loaf of bread at all it was just a pile of junk <laughs> yeah and it, like, it wasn't just the visuals either. It was the story yeah. was not great. Yeah. But and is the movie about Jimmy Hoffa? Is it about the death of Jimmy Hoffa, or is it about these two dudes, De Niro and Pesci? Like, what's what are they going for with this movie? It loses its uh, its own identity like halfway through the movie because the first well, I wouldn't say halfway. I mean, a quarter of the way through the movie, you're like. Oh, this is uh, about the Irishman. Okay, very good. This is about Robert De Niro's character, and he's a young, upcoming gangster, and how he gets into the mafia. And then, for at least two more quarters, for the next two quarters of the movie, it's all about Jimmy Hoffa and his his relationship, essentially. And then the last quarter of the movie kind of circles back to him and his life with either his family or... He's refusing to tell the cops. He's refusing to speak about like what actually went down, even though this book is the movie's based on a book where he confesses to the killing. So I, I just, yeah, I don't know. It's not known exactly what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. Historically, was... we historically we do not know what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. There's been a few people that have taken credit for his murder, and obviously there are this skepticism towards it because he's one of the most famous hits in mafia history. So they think people are just trying to build their reputation through saying that, Hey, I killed Jimmy Hoffa. Do you think that what they portray in the movie is what really happened to him? I mean, I don't even know. I have no clue. Like it could, it could definitely have happened. And it seems like just as likely of a story. I mean, we're pretty sure that Jimmy Hoffa was killed by the mafia. It's just, who did it and where and how and why it's not even really that important at this point, to be honest, but, um, and I don't, I don't necessarily think 
a historical drama was what they were going for in this movie. It's just kind of a, it's like a send off, a sad send off for an era, I guess the end of an era show, but sure. It just, I don't know. It's, it seems sad, not in a good way, but just kind of pathetic. Yes. It was, it was sad in a sad way. Yeah. It was sad (laughs) in a sad way. There's also in this movie, Ray Romano, as we said, he's the lawyer and is a cousin or nephew of uh, Russ Buffalino. Yeah. Bill Buffalino. He's somewhat of a major supporting character. There's Bobby Cannavale, is the guy from Boardwalk Empire. He's the main Oh, he's, he's great. I could have yeah, used, like used like another hour or two of screen time for him. He uh, eats a steak very strangely and what becomes a pattern of people eating things strangely. Uh, I'll get to it later, but there's a lot of times where you see these people eating and when you get so bored with what's going on on the screen, you watch him eat. It's so weird. He goes after the (laughs) steak so hard. I didn't notice that while I was watching it, but now that you mention it, I notice it with all the bread, dipping the bread in the wine and... Yeah, like Russ at one point's eating cereal and it's dribbling down his chin. Like I, I don't want to see him yeah. struggle to take the tiniest bite of cornflakes. <laughs> it, it's yeah. horrible. They should have got a stunt man for him to eat his cornflakes. <laughs> if you watch the scene in the in prison when when Al Pacino's eating the ice cream with uh, Tony Pro, he's yeah. just stabbing at this ice cream for 30 45 seconds before he takes a bite like, what are you possibly doing yeah with the, and it's the smallest littlest bite yeah uh, it just i was so bored at times during this movie I, that's what i was doing was yeah watching <laughs> that's funny because i There's, did notice i did notice a few times where it seemed like it seemed like these actors were just getting together and actually having meals with each other and just talking because this is the the height of minimalism actors in our era, you know, where it's like less is more, particularly Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro has always been an actor where less is more. It's like he chooses one face for the whole scene and is just like, yep, this is the face I'm going to give you. Yeah. What, what is your <laughs> opinion of De Niro, actually? Because I, was, I mean, I was kind of wondering, is he a great I, actor? He is a great actor. I love. I like that, and I, I don't think he did a horrible job in the movie, but at the same time, I just think he was grossly overage for what they were asking him to do at 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 many points in the film. And I should say, is he a great actor beyond the gangster role? Sure, sure. If you watch Taxi, or if you watch, uh, I mean, even Goodfellas, or or uh the second godfather he is a he and he is a he's a supremely believable actor because of his minimalism because he does he never goes over the top he always is a real human in front of you you know and i said that i talked about that in the last podcast but it's like you'd be amazing how many actors are not humanistic in the in the things that they do and then their actions and how they go, and he just is supremely human in all of his characters. And I, and I would say I would agree with that. Yeah, and he he is he's one of the greatest actors I think of all time. But in this movie, it's just like you're asking him to to roll back the clock thirty years, and it's it's 
sadly sad, like we said. Well, when I think of other roles where he wasn't a gangster, I always think of uh, Cape Fear, where he's mm-hmm. that hillbilly kind of villainous stalker. Yeah, he's he's good in that. He's good in that. But he's he's he plays some strange characters. Have you ever watched Taxi? I watched like thirty or forty five minutes of it, fell asleep, and then never finished it. Oh, dude, I think that's a Scorsese film too. I I need to do my research, but I, I'm pretty sure that's Scorsese. But that was the first one he, that him and Scorsese did together, I think. And he's a phenomenal psycho in that, and and it's really good. He but, he was pretty uh, normal whenever uh, for the part I watched. He wasn't completely deranged yet. Yeah, he gets deranged. He gets out there, and he gets pretty pretty. It's pretty interesting to watch. So is he better than Pesci in your mind? Yeah, I would. If if you would have asked me uh, before this film who the better actor was and gangster actor and, and whatever for what we're talking about, I would definitely say De Niro over Pesci. And De Niro over Pacino, you think? No, I like Pacino better. Yeah, he's definitely better in this movie. Yeah, I think I think in this movie and just in general, I think Pacino's got more range and De Niro's kind of always a little bit De Niro. Yeah. That's why I was wondering about Pesci because he's awesome in Home Alone. Uh Oh yeah. <laughs> and he's he's good in my cousin Vinny too, so he's he can roll it any which way. Yeah, Pesci's Pesci's good. But Pesci's Pesci's sort of I, I I feel like Pesci's a little bit of a gimmick actor. He has his his own mannerisms and his own things that are very much relied upon in his characters. Yeah. So he's I think he's a charismatic person. I don't exactly think he's a top notch character actor. Pacino and De Niro have not been in a lot of films together. And this is the most screen time that we'll ever see with Pacino and De Niro on the same screen, other than Heat, which was the only real other movie I think they kind of did together. They only kind of interact at the end in one absolutely phenomenal scene that is is a masterclass in acting where the two of them meet. But that's back when they're in their prime. That's why I was saying, like, this movie would have been the cat's ass if you'd have filmed it 20 years ago with the same cast. Oh, yeah do a better job with, with the plot too yeah yeah you gotta trim some fat because three and a half hours is way too long so there's another one of the other bright spots i liked on the cast was stephen graham who played uh, al capone in, in boardwalk empire he plays yeah. tony pro mm-hmm. who's uh, like a rising union competitor against jimmy hoffa and a yeah, member of the mob good. as well he's good yeah, he's good. He was one of the bright spots for me. Then there's yeah. Anna Anna Paquin. She is uh-huh. she is uh, De Niro's daughter, and she never says anything. I think she says three or four four words at the end of the movie, but every other one of her scenes, she's just standing around staring, looking strange. Yeah, to be honest, to me, she's like the whole that whole story part of the storyline is just sort of a waste. Until so laid out. Yeah, until like the final few scenes there where she's like, or not her, but the other daughter, he's talking to the other daughter and he's like, tell her, tell her I said sorry and yada, yada, yada. And it's pretty much a waste until that point where she's like, dad, we couldn't come to you with anything because of the stuff that you would do to these people. We couldn't tell you 
somebody made us angry because we were afraid you'd murder them or whatever. And I just think, and I just started thinking about, it. I was like, yeah, that is actually a really interesting take and or interesting glimpse into the life of mafia people and the, the effect that it has on their families. Yeah. It's normally do the kids know that I'm in the mafia, but in this case, she knew it was a matter of keeping him from hurting people. Yeah. yeah. And, which he fails at. Of course, he kills, you know, probably dozens of people. It, it shows several murders committed yeah. by the Irishman, which it sounds exciting and, and good for a mob movie, but it actually isn't. Uh, no. There, there's no exciting action or, or acts of violence, mob violence in this movie that really stand out as being great scenes. I mean, there are a few, but it's, Again, it's, yeah. it's too long. Well, and and a perfect moment for when I just knew that I was I couldn't believe anything going on in this movie was when he takes his daughter down to the the guy that pushed her, right? Remember yeah, the, the grocer. grocer? Yeah, the grocer pushes her and he's like, She pushed he pushed you? All right, let's go. And he takes her and drives her down there and then he like beats this guy's ass out on the street. But while he's beating his ass, he's he looks like just an old feeble man trying to kick him. Like it looks like, it looks like a 70, it looks like a 75 year old man, which is what it was trying to beat up somebody in the street. Like he wasn't even laying in the boots. It looked like wrestling of the wrestling stomp is exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like Like it was really bad fight choreography and it looked like really slow old man kicks to the face. And they even panned the camera out to where it wasn't close up, so they really had a lot of room to work, and it's still yeah. bad. And then he, like, stomps on his hand to to break his hands or something on the curb, and it's just like, oh, my God, come on. The guy says, my hand, my hand. It's, it is played out. There's so many you know, scenes in this movie where it's just cliche after cliche. You know, yeah. They, the restaurant, shoot the guy, stomp on and- his hand, blow up the car. Oh, I did kind of like that. I did kind of like how whenever he walked up to assassinate people, he just did it. Like, he would just be like, oh, hey, Bob, how you doing? Oh. <laughs> it, was, it was not like a big dramatic setup. I think it was much more realistic uh, with how it probably goes down as opposed to sitting there and having dinner with somebody and at the end of the dinner sneaking up behind him and putting it in the back of the head or something. Well, how do you get away with it for that long if, it, if you're that blatant? I mean, he would just walk into the place, shoot the guy, walk out. That's how. Is that, that's how. Is it that easy? Yeah, it's, it looks so random and it's so quick and it's just in and out. Or like just on the street corner, he walks up to Whispers and puts a, it's like, hey, I didn't know which way you were coming from. Oh, yeah, sure. And just blows his head off right there and just quickly walks away. And having lived in New York, I've heard gunshots before. It's like you don't immediately go vet, investigate gunshots. You just hear gunshots and you freak out. And then, you know, the people probably walked out of the restaurant and then saw a dead man there. Of course, four or five minutes had probably passed. How are you going to track somebody in that city like doing that? That's That seemed to me realistic, which I kind of liked. Yeah. I, I just feel like if it's a town that you live in and you walk into a place, someone's going to. Yeah, if you shoot a gun, most people are going to run rather than look at, for the source of the the gunfire. But someone might see your face at some point. I I don't know. It seems dumb to me. Like wear a mask, yeah. or, or better yet, do a hit where the guy's not sitting in a restaurant. Oh yeah, yeah. well, and, and we get into the the flick later where he's he's a local teamster boss. 
like the president of the union. Yeah. Yeah. And he he's presented an award at a huge banquet. And he's still walking up and fucking shooting people in the face. <laughs> yeah. You would think he would be with, yeah. With no mask or anything. It's just, yeah. That, that to me was a little bit like, okay, somebody should probably recognize him at this point. But in a different movie, they would have time to address details like that maybe. But in this, they're telling a story that spans over what, 50 years or, 30, yeah. 40, 50 years. Wow. They don't, I they don't mean, have time to talk about little things like yeah, that. Yeah, they had to squeeze it all into three and a half hours. So, you know, it was, it was tough. Uh, another appearance I like to see was Artie Bucco's wife. Or the actress's name is Catherine Narducci. Mm, she played yeah. Charmaine Bucco in The Sopranos. She was the wife of Buffalino in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was in the opening scene smoking in the back, which. There's all kinds of little scenes like that where people are, you know, having a smoke and talking about it or eating a bowl of cereal or what's whatever. her what's her what's her name? The actress's name? No, the the character's name. Oh, it's uh, Carrie Buffalino. Carrie, you're killing me with this draft. <laughs> you're killing me with the draft, Donnie. <laughs> Throwback to the last podcast. So one really uh, cool cast member that didn't have a Wikipedia page, but I looked it up. It's the same person. And Goodfellas, the the woman that's supposed to drive Ray Liotta to the airport, she says, I can't go without my hat. You know what I'm talking about? Mm. I can't go without my hat. I got to have Oh, hat. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that woman is the wife of Jimmy Hoffa in this one. That actress is the same actress. Okay. I didn't, uh, I didn't notice that. I didn't, yeah, I didn't pick that up. Of course, when was Good... the face. I had to Goodfellas, look it up. Goodfellas, I feel like, was made in the 90s. So, I mean, we're talking... 20-some years ago. 30 years, yeah. I think Goodfellas was 91, 92, something like that. Yeah. And she doesn't have a Wikipedia page, despite being in both these movies. Hey, you know who does, though? Harvey Keitel. And... Yeah, what's the story with him? I, I've seen him in a billion things, but I don't oh, know. Harvey, Ke- Harvey Keitel is a really good actor. He's he's kind of... Uh, um, he doesn't get the props that he deserves, but in this movie particularly, he looks just menacing. As Angelo Bruno, I think is his name in this movie. Yeah, he's the mob boss at the beginning. Yeah, from Philly, and he looks he looks absolutely dangerous. But he looks he pretty doesn't, cool. He doesn't have like a real uh, big role ex- except that one scene where where he's like, you know, who owns those companies? And he's like, no, I do. He's like, oh, who owns them? No, I do. I don't know who owns them. I own them. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the the better scenes. Yeah, that's pretty good stuff. He has this memory because the current version of Frank and Russ are driving down the interstate with their wives to go to a wedding, and they pull over to smoke maybe 30 yards away from a gas station. Why would you not just stop at the gas station? Why would you pull over and be be within sight of the gas station, but pull over and sit on the guardrail instead? Yeah, I don't know. That was that was to me like a a big part that could have been cut the whole the whole car ride just I I the, it was like this continual story like where we're actually we start the story at the car ride and then we go back through all these different past histories and stories and then oh yeah we're back at a car ride oh yeah I forgot the story's happening while they're taking a car ride up to a wedding to do something and I, I was just kind of like why we don't need all this really i don't know 
they really don't do well. I guess the uh, the the climax does end at the end of their ride. It does play into the end of their ride, but the whole way up seems kind of unnecessary. They're making not, collections and stuff. Yeah, it's like to show that this guy was a was a badass all up and down the East Coast or wherever they were going. I don't know. Like, what I was that? The, was weird too. Who who makes collections across multiple states? Yeah, just randomly showing up and being like, "Oh, you got to teach your." clerk to work harder and yada 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 and then they leave and walk out and he's like you idiot you know who that was you gotta shut your mouth i guess it was just like it was just trying to show how how vast that guy's reach was but did we really need to have i mean at least 45 minutes of the movie is is that you know that's the you're talking about he comes in and, and he's basically a karen and complains about the the customer service yeah you got to do something about this guy. He's got a real attitude on him or something like that. Yeah. What a bitch, man. Just let the guy do his job and leave him alone. Yeah, come on. He was out of line. But that same drive is when he eats the cornflakes. And it's also weird. He pour, He picks up this tiny little Bible camp size thing of cornflakes, and he dumps it in De Niro's bowl like he's pouring his cereal for him. And yeah. then it shows De Niro tucking the cereal back in. He doesn't even finish the whole bowl. It's very it was at least 45 seconds to a minute's worth of just a waste of time and they do that so many times i don't need to see him pour his his cereal for him yeah there was down his chin there was a lot of just extra stuff and i feel like the editing in this movie just didn't happen like they just didn't trim the movie like they should have trimmed it i don't know it was almost like whoever was putting it together didn't want to offend the legendary actors they had, so they didn't yeah. cut anyone's scenes. Yeah, it's like Robert De Niro, since he produced it, was sitting in the editing booth going, no, 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 leave that. <laughs> it's just yeah. every every time they tried to make a cut, he was like, no, 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 leave that. Look at the way the cornflake falls down his chin. You got to leave it in. Yeah, leave that. You, that you can't take it out. That cornflake signifies his character and uh, the you know, the dampness and the softness, but yet the crunchiness too at the same time. Yeah, leave that in. <laughs> they uh, they go far enough in, in depth with Frank's character that they show you a war flashback where he's even more CGI looking and he shoots these two soldiers after making them dig their own grave, I guess as a way to prove to Russ that he's a killer and he's willing to kill. Yeah, that's... That... just more wasted screen kind of. I... I actually enjoyed the uh, metaphor of that whole scene because I feel like that it really is just a big metaphor for the for the mafia in general is like you just keep digging your grave, keep digging your grave and finally you end up in it, you know. I didn't think about that. That actually is pretty pretty clever if that especially if that's what they were going for. Yeah, I don't know if that's what they were going for, but but it's he says something about oh how can they keep doing it how can they keep digging their own grave and thinking that at the end they're gonna maybe if they do a good job then they're they're gonna be okay well that's brilliant actually i I would concede that point if that's the case yeah i i don't know if they were actually intending that but to me it stuck out as wow like that is a beautiful metaphor for the mafia because all these mafiosos like in the last movie we watched and the movie we're watching now just continually dig their own grave until they finally end up in it. Yeah, that's that's how it always ends, either dead or in jail for yeah. a guy like that. I always took it to 
that to me that Frank would kill for the mob if he needed to. And that was his way of letting Russ know that because the first time they met, they were real friendly fixing that truck, not knowing that the other was willing to be involved in organized crime. But I yeah. like what you came up with way better, and I would give them well, both writing props if that's and the case. I, but I agree with you. I don't know if it was intended. I just don't like – but I agree with you. That's definitely what it's meant to show. It's meant to show that he is willing to do what needs to be done, you know, and keep his mouth shut and go about his business, and he can handle that. You know, and that particularly that moment he's talking about taking people in the force and, and killing them or whatever, and they don't tell you what to do, but you know. So he's letting him know, hey, I'm a stone cold killer and I can do the job for you. Uh, yeah, that's what the main thing they go with is I heard you paint houses, meaning you're painting the house with the blood. You're, you're an assassin killing people. Yeah. And that's the name of the book that was written that this movie was based off of. Yeah. Which is they, pretty cool. They show it the first time. It's like uh, it's almost like Clerks when they flash those screens on there. Mm-hmm. They uh, on this one they show. So I heard you paint houses, and then throughout the film, every time it shows a gangster because they're encountering hundreds of characters. We can't even name them all. I can't anyway. And yeah, it shows how they died in a quick. They pause the screen and they show this text on the screen saying lived from this age to this age, died from gunshot wounds to the head. And they do it for a lot of characters throughout. It's kind of a neat touch. Yeah. Uh, they do that for a man. Well, actually, no, they, they show his death. The guy that plays Beansy in Sopranos. Yeah. Uh, let me see if I have the actor's name here. Paul Herman. He plays a guy named Whispers. And at this point, the Irishman is working for Russ and working for Angelo Bueno in the mob, but he does a job for this whispers guy. And that's mm-hmm. when, after he does this job and blows up some building, that's when they have the scene you were talking about earlier at the sit yeah. down. I wrote that. I really liked that scene. It was one of the few scenes that was great. And oh yeah, I felt that Pesci was excellent in that scene because he was just sitting there as a third party making these faces at De Niro while De Niro's under interrogation from Bueno. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's said with his eyes, he's telling them, you know, now's the time to tell the truth, kid. Uh, Don't fuck this up. A lot's on the line right here. And then he says relief and gratitude. Well, it's like he keeps looking over to him and he keeps just looking like, yep, well, tell us what you know. You know, it's just, it's, you gotta, you gotta say what you know because you're caught. You know, it's not like you're getting out of it. So just play it smart and don't be, don't go down trying to protect the wrong person, you know? Yeah. So what happened was uh, Beansy's character, uh, Whispers, was bombing a store that, like you said, belonged to the mob, belonged to Bueno. And so Bueno had to find out who did it. He did, which was Frank, and then find out that Whispers had to die. And Whispers was going to die. He kept saying he's not going to need it. Referring to the money, he said, "I'll yeah, give him he's back." Gonna it. He's not he's gonna not need gonna it. need it. He's not gonna need it. Yeah, and then I give him, I'll give him the money back. He's not gonna need it. <laughs> Frank ends up being the one that has to kill Beansy, and he walks right up to him in the street, like you said, pops him twice, and and goes on. Yep. And that was one of the cooler uh, killings, I guess, because they gave a little yeah. depth to the the victim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There were other times they didn't necessarily give as much. Yeah. And after that one, they showed the, I don't know if you think it's cool or kind of corny. I, I tend to think kind of 
not that cool, but when he throws the the gun into the river and he says there are enough guns down there over this bridge to to arm a oh yeah yeah small yeah militia. And he keeps dropping off the same guns there. And I think we find out at the end of the movie that he's killed over like two dozen people. So he's at least dropped 24 guns in this area. And it shows a little CGI clip where they drop the gun in there and the gun floats to the bottom of the river and it lands on just a slew of shotguns, revolvers, and snub 45s just laid out. Hundreds, all, hundreds yeah. of guns down there. Yeah, just the whole bottom of the river is just laced in guns. Do you think that's realistic? You think there's one spot where? Ah, I don't know how realistic that. That that seems. Unity. We need solidarity. I want to write it in the sky. Solidarity. De Niro finally gets his job with the mob mafia as a hitman, and that's a good portion of the film. And that's when they introduce Jimmy Hoffa as the union leader. And he really brings some energy to the movie that's starting to drag and, and get cliched right there. And Hoffa does give you a little shot of adrenaline. He's way more animated than the other two. And yeah. And hot. Yeah. Yeah. He really brings some pop and panaz, I guess, to the to the screen when he starts getting involved in stuff, it starts making me a little bit more interested in the story because now you've got Joe Pesci, you've got Robert De Niro and you have Al Pacino, three of the heavyweight gangster film actors all sharing the screen throughout this whole next three hours or whatever, two, two and a half hours it's left. Well, Pacino gives these awesome speeches at these union halls and when he really wants to make a point, he does this weird claw, like a bear clawing at, at something. When he says, uh, unity, is, or something like that. Unity! Yeah. And he's, he does this claw motion. He does it several times throughout the movie. It, it's a yeah. little quirk. He, I, maybe the real Jimmy Hoffa did that. I don't know. But it's, it's pretty funny. Yeah. I, it, it always I, makes me chuckle. I don't know, but it's yeah. He he does a good job and in, uh, in getting us excited. I would say the next time you watch it to check it out, but I can't imagine you would ever want to watch this again. Another, another three and a half hour marathon. No, I will not. So once they they intro Jimmy Hoffa, they also introduce Tony Pro, which we'd already talked about was kind of the second mob. Well, he was a mob member, but he was second second man up in the union. He was competition for union president. And this yeah. this storyline takes up, what, a movie's worth of the film? and A normal movie, hour and a half? Yeah, and it's, it's part of the most interesting stuff going on, too. Because I think I wrote later, like, his scenes with uh, Al Pacino are probably my favorite scenes of the movie. You talking about Tony Pro's scenes or or De Niro's scenes? Tony Pro with De Niro with uh, Tony Pro and Jimmy Hoffa together. Yeah, they have a like, lot of little fights. Yeah, they have they have just a very rocky relationship, and it's it's really fun to watch those two kind of go back and forth at each other. There's there's some scenes where I guess the Irishman is 
getting involved with the union as part of his mob activity. And so he kind of travels around with Hoffa. There's some funny scenes between Hoffa and, and De Niro in the hotel room where there's like two old men getting ready for bed and talking about their competitors. And it's just, it's sad. Like we talked about, it's, it's pathetic. Sad. They're just so, so sad. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the level of sadness that happens throughout this, this whole film is just, to me, that was one of the most distracting parts about it because it didn't make me think, Oh my God, these actors that I've looked up to my whole life are now doing a film together. It made me think, Jesus Christ, I'm close to dead. (laughs) Yeah, these guys are even closer. And these guys are really close to dead. But it's like, you know, we're we're all getting older. And it it took me out of the film, which is never good for anything in any movie ever, when something is distracting you outside of the story of what's actually happening. It happens over and over again, too. You think about things other than what's going on on the screen necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, it's like sometimes a, sometimes a good script is served better with an actor that's kind of an unknown because they don't carry any prior any prior weight with them to the viewer. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, they can make yeah. an impression. It's it's important to to make an impression yeah. rather than rely on old tricks. Yeah, when we see Al Pacino, we think a certain thing. When we see Robert De Niro, we think a certain thing. When we see Joe Pesci, we think a certain thing. And they really needed, and they had it too. They had it with, what's his name? The guy that plays. uh, You talking about Skinny Razor? Bobby Cannavale. It's like. Have him be a lead. Give him some more, give him a better part. Or have him play a young De Niro or, you know, or, and what's the other guy? The Steve, Stephen Graham, Stephen right? Stephen Graham was Tony Pro. Yeah. Have him play a young, Pesci. you know, Pesci. What, like, come on. You, you, you had all the tools available to you and you didn't use them correctly. Yeah. That's, I that's agree. what I ultimately think of when I see this movie. I was like, everything is there set up for you and you just didn't do it right i guess i don't know or even the things that i feel like were supposed to attract the casual audience like the hits uh you know the assassinations even they just mm-hmm. fell flat this yeah. and the scene i'm specifically referring to is they have this uh secondary gangster named sally bugs in the back seat right behind the guy they're gonna kill he pulls out a one of those razor wires or piano wires and and the garrote wire yeah the guy had just changed the radio and then they kill him come to find out he was a competitor of tony pro and so since tony pro's in the mob he can just have him killed quickly yeah it should have been a cool scene they even put the guy in the wood chipper but at this point i was just was thinking man i've seen all this before this is nothing new or special yeah they didn't do anything special with it though i did like the guy that played the assassin uh sally the guy that played sally yeah, I mm-hmm. wrote him down. I guess I had seen him in Boardwalk Empire, but his name was Louis Cancelmi, the actor. Louis he didn't Cancelmi? have a he, Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he was uh, one of the Capone brothers in Boardwalk Empire, and he was also in, I want to say, True Blood, but I, I haven't seen True Blood. I just saw it on his page. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I thought he was one of the, 
the bit actors that made a good impression on me in this one. He he didn't have a big role, but he was in the car at the end. Uh, we'll get to that last scene, which was the best scene in the movie. But I think you said that earlier. But I would agree. Oh, no, you were talking about the trip up the coast. So maybe you don't think it's the best scene. What, the best scene? Yeah, in the whole movie. Uh, yeah, I don't know. My I think my favorite scene is the uh, the meeting between Tony Pro and Hoffa, where in Tony Miami. Pro in Miami, where Tony Pro wears the shorts and is late, and is just obviously a smack in the face, and he's like, he gets all angry because he used a racial slur because he said, you people. <laughs> yeah. And, and Pacino is really pissed about timing. So he gets, yeah. he gets mad that Tony Pro's there at 12 after instead of 10 after. And they yeah. argue about traffic expectations. Yeah, like they're there to have a meeting to, to like bury the hatchet about their differences. And it just starts off completely horrible. And this is after they've already gotten to a fight during jail. So that's like a ways down the road, but still. Yeah, we're skipping ahead just a little bit in terms of what I wrote down for this. I mean, we're not yeah, going to talk about that's... every scene in this movie for sure. Oh, uh, we got, we can't, we can't. This fucking movie is three and a half hours. It's, it's like the first part of the Lord of the Rings. It's like movie one of the Lord of the Rings. One of the cool things that I did like was the assassination attempt on Hoffa while he was in the courtroom. The guy pulls a gun on him and the gun misfires, and then his son. Well, they portray him as his son in this movie. I guess in real life, it was a foster son that Hoffa didn't necessarily have a lot of affection for. Oh, really? I, that's what it said online. But huh. in the movie, they were best buds, father and son, uh, something like that. So his son attacks the assassin, and, and Pacino attacks him as well. And they subdue the assassin and get rid of him. And then he gives this speech about how great his son is and he's holding his arm yeah yeah that was kind of you like that yeah so i I mean i i thought it was a little cheesy but i i did enjoy it like i thought it was it was an interesting scene well my favorite line came from that scene or or one of my uh favorite lines oh sweet then we're not we're not gonna have the same favorite line at the end of this one for sure well we might because i have a secondary but oh okay but we won't have that one i'll save it (laughs) But do you think that the assassin was sent by Tony Pro, or was that an actual crazy person like he just said? Or was that meant to be Hoffa sending someone in to do a job to make him look good? Did Hoffa pay for that his own assassin? That was one thing I was thinking about whenever it happened. I was like, did Hoffa have that set up? Because he says he shoots him with like a pellet gun or something that's like not even dangerous. He said it felt like a baby. Felt like a BBX. So yeah, so he like shoots him with a toy gun. I don't even think it's a misfire. I think it's a toy gun. I think it's like just something. And then the guy that they arrest was like, I know this is gonna sound crazy, but God told me to do it. God told me something about yeah. So I I don't know. I think it could have been Hoffa set it up just to I don't know. Make yourself look like a victim and garner. Yeah, gain gain some notoriety, I guess. I don't know. Well, at this point, JFK was the president and his brother, Robert Kennedy, was made it a goal to get Hoffa in jail because it was it was known that Hoffa worked in coordination with the mafia. So Mm -hmm. they don't focus on it too much in the story, but that's he's undergoing a lot of scrutiny 
at that time, Hoffa is trying to stay out of jail, and eventually he does go to jail. Yeah, particularly like indictments from the grand jury, and they say something about he's been indicted 13 or 14 times and they haven't found anything. So he's he's definitely public enemy number one from the politicians. Eventually they get him. Uh, I'm not. They, I'm sure they said the charges, but I I forgot. But they eventually get him on something. Oh well, what does Stephen Graham's character says? You're you're in on fraud. I'm in on what was it? You're in on fraud. He says to Stephen Graham's character, he's like, you intimidated and threatened a witness i'm here on fraud so it's very two very different things yeah so you're basically he was saying you're a gangster i'm not that's the scene when they're uh, eating the when he's eating the ice cream and they get into yeah. a fight in the jail yeah. mess room or mess hall so he commits fraud somehow well i think he was misappropriating the union money yeah, well, and it's money. like the people in his crew do it. He gets pissed off with the people in his crew because they fuck up. He wasn't actually even the one that fucked it up. Like, I think this movie really paints Jimmy Hoffa in a in a good light, whereas he's like a good union guy who's really trying to help people. And I, that might be true. It might be. I don't know. I don't know the entire story, but I feel like they, he also has he also has some dirty dealings. They paint. Yeah, they paint him as a maniac at times. He's a complete egomaniac and a narcissist. Yeah. He, yeah, for sure. And at one point he asks Frank if they could get someone to murder Tony pro. He, yeah. He says, isn't there some way you can talk to Russ and do something about this guy? So he's not exactly. Oh, the well, but he, but he doesn't, he doesn't say that cause he says it and then he goes back on it. So he says it and then he's like, well, what do you want me to do? You want me like you want me to go after him? And he's like, "Oh no, not I don't mean like that. I don't mean like that." But it's like he was insinuating and hinting around it just to see if Frank would do it. And then he pulls back and says, "No, something has to be done about him. Something has to be done." Yeah, it's you know? it's and, a big point of contention is between those two for most of the movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think they're meant to portray De Niro as having almost as close or just as close of a relationship with Hoffa as he had with Russ and uh-huh. Pesci's character. Yeah, I think that's the big... We're supposed to feel that he's completely torn between being the good Irishman and being the Italian mobster. One of the things that really stands out throughout the movie when the daughter is never speaking again, she's just sitting there all the time. But mm-hmm. Russ is there kind of as an uncle and she's never comfortable around him, but Jimmy Hoff is there and they're best friends. Yeah. So I guess she's supposed to somewhat represent innocence and she's obviously more drawn toward Pacino because he's a good person and she can almost sense that Russ is this ruthless mafia killer. Oh, well, you just answered my question because I was going to ask, why is it so important that his daughter likes his gangster friends? But I guess the device is to really show who's the good guy and who's the bad guy on a lot of levels. And which which side he'll go to, as you were saying. Which, yeah. Which side he'll be drawn to. Mm-hmm. And I think he finally realizes at the very end that he goes the wrong way, but we'll save it for just a minute. Yeah. Uh, Hoffa gets out of jail, and immediately he wants 
to win back the union and be, become the president again. So that's when they have the sit down that you were talking about in Miami with Tony Pro, who who also gets out of jail. They talk about their fight in prison and and who won the fight, and they talk about being late and who dresses like that for a meeting, things like that, and it ends with them brawling again. Yeah. Uh, that's when uh, he asks him to hit him and then, you know, changes his mind real quick. So at this point, mm-hmm. the mafia feels the need to intervene and they tell Hoffa he's got to quit. You need to retire. Stop trying to be the president of the union. They were not on board with his activities. They wanted Tony Pro to go on and, and just be done with it. Yeah. And they have this banquet scene where he, De Niro's the middleman between Russ and Pacino. This scene goes on for so long. That is the longest fucking scene ever. It's like 30, it's, 45 minutes of this dinner. I'm pretty sure that scene went on longer than the actual dinner probably went on in real real time. Yeah, it was not good. It really because annoyed. it's like so, so many different things get covered during the scene. Like, A, he gets the watch from, from like, he, for, well, first off, he wants jimmy hoffa to present him the award right yeah and then he gets so jimmy hoffa so he somebody comes up and tells a joke about him and about how like they do like a standard banquet joke stuff oh he's a super funny guy and oh yeah yeah he likes his meat rare and then he likes his meat so it comes walking out of the kitchen at him (laughs) and then okay oh very funny and then it's it's like an actual banquet you're at an actual banquet and you're bored by these people's speeches and so then he gets up there. Jimmy Hoffa gets up there and presents him the award and gives him the the uh, watch that he gives him, which is very important because he's wearing the watch that Jimmy Hoffa gives him, and then he's wearing the ring that Russ gives him. So like those are very two significant parts. And then also the whole time Russ is trying to convince him to convince Jimmy Hoffa to back off and just retire. And then you've got like an other storyline going on. It's just like there's so much happening in this one party that I'm just like, man, this party must have been the worst to attend. There's was it was that banquet the same one that they showed the comedian? He was telling jokes about the mafia and one of the mafioso stands up and shakes a bottle at him and, and makes a big scene. Oh wait, no, that's the Joey Gallo scene. That's okay. that's the Joey Gallo. So I might be jumping way ahead in there. Regardless, that that scene, it was just like, I kept thinking, can this scene go on any fucking longer? But with the comedian scene, De Niro gets ordered to do a hit. And it's actually kind of a cool scene because it, it gets into the logistics of committing a murder in public. And that's when he talks about not taking a silencer, uh, not wanting, yeah. you got to use the bathroom before you do the yeah. So you're right. I did. I jumped uh, way ahead, but this is uh, the Joey Gallo scene. Okay. So yeah, this is where they they kill Joey Gallo, or, or as he was known in the mafioso, Crazy Joe, who's another very famous character, who Bob Dylan wrote a song about him back in like the '70s, uh, that he was on the same album that he wrote about the hurricane, and. Bob Dylan, I'll tell you what, Bob Dylan paints him in a really romantic light if this is the actual character that he's like because <laughs> it's pretty different. So was his end because he he made a, a comment at a comedy club? Because that's what he got killed yeah. for, right? He made himself known in a crowd, essentially. Yeah, well, they, they, 
they blame something on him. They blame some hit on him. I can't remember what it is, but they blame a hit on him, essentially. They say only one person's crazy enough to do this. Crazy Joe. Yeah. So then they, they that's when he walks in. He kills yeah. he shoots him a few times and then he follows him out into the street and shoots him some more. Yeah. So okay he's a pretty but he's a pretty famous gangster. So if you know the history of Joey Gallo, he's it's a sort of significant scene, but if not it's another one of those scenes that's kind of jarred and pried into the script for no reason, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like one, they could have cut down some of the time by cutting the scene yeah. together. Yeah. I guess it's so unimportant that we actually just glossed over it and went straight to the, the banquet scene because it is a cool scene somewhat and historically important, but not necessary for this story so much. Yeah. Which I'm still not sure what the story is. Is it the the, the disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa, or is it about the Irishman? I guess it's called the Irishman. So it's just yeah. about this dude who was there for all this stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's, yeah, I think it's a toss-up. I think it's supposed to be about this guy's life, but I think it becomes much more about what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. So in the banquet, De Niro's told, uh, Frank's told, to convince Hoffa to give it up. He's got to do whatever he can to convince him to give it up. And he keeps saying, they're using uh, gangster talk, not directly saying what it is they're trying to say. So he keeps saying it is what it is. Uh, measures will yeah. be taken, things like that. It's it's all right, but essentially Hoffa doesn't agree. And they're at a standstill. He He thinks that the mafia can't touch him because he has too much on him. Hey, oh, and we also didn't mention, um, did you notice who was singing in that scene? Was it uh, Phil? Yeah, Stephen Van Zandt. Stevie Van Zandt, Silvio Dante yeah. from The Sopranos. Yeah, so I was like, oh, Mason, I, Mason's definitely got to notice that. Yeah. So I was like, I got I to gotta bring that up because uh, he's obviously not actually singing. The singer is somebody that's uh, a childhood favorite of Martin Scorsese's, the actual singer. He's supposed to be playing somebody, but it's Stevie Van Zandt, who is also, who is Silvio in Sopranos, which is kind of a fun little. You don't think he was few, singing few, for sure? No, definitely not. Definitely not. It's it's like, because uh, I don't think Stevie Van Zandt's a singer. I think he's a guitarist, isn't he? Yeah, but he sings on some songs. He could have he could have sang. It yeah, doesn't sound like that. Sang. It looks like he's lip syncing, to be honest. Yeah, he probably is. But it was because I rewind, him. I rewinded it to make sure it was actually him. Yeah, he's in there. There's another very minor part by a guy named Ben Paul Victor. I don't know if you've seen The Wire, but he plays a a Greek gangster in season two of The Wire. He's one of the main characters. One of the things I did write down about this whole banquet scene is that. The acting is so well done in this scene. This is where we really start to get, we really get the feeling of how good these guys are because the acting is so well done in these scenes that you don't even realize they're acting almost. It starts to flow so seamlessly and it starts to become so realistic between these guys talking that it feels like we're just sort of voyeurs in on their conversation it does not feel like there's a performance going on and this is also one of my favorite parts of the movie because 
these actors are so polished and so good at their craft. It's it's so hard. <laughs> I, I'm trying to formulate it into words, but as an actor, it's so hard to come off natural all the time when you're speaking. And these guys are absolute masters of that and absolute masters of naturalism and minimalism in their acting, which is sort of what the, the, the both of them came from the studio in New York, which is famous for its minimalism and acting and its sort of realism. And in these scenes, we really just get a sense of, wow, it's just it's two real life people talking to each other and we're just kind of a voyeur flying around on the camera i just i thought it was amazing and that it 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 was one of the saving graces of the film for me just watching the performance of these guys during this banquet scene yeah yeah this meeting at this banquet sets up the climax it gets you caught up with where they're at at the beginning of the movie in terms of present day yeah so it's important to know that this is the end of the movie like this is jimmy hoffa's Jimmy Hoffa's got a choice to make in this scene. It's like, do you want to play ball with the mafia or do you want to not play ball with the mafia? Because here's the, here's, it is what it is. You either play ball with the mafia or you end up dead. And Jimmy Hoffa thinks he's bigger than the mafia. And, you know, unfortunately he's not. Yeah, he's not. So when it gets us back to the car ride between Russ and, and Frank and their wives, and they're making their stops. That's all over. They have that breakfast scene, and that's when Frank gets the news that he, not only are they going to kill Jimmy Hoffa, but he's the one who's going to have to do it. And he's going to do it all in one afternoon. He's got a private plane. He's going to fly into wherever wherever he's going to kill him and be back three hours tops is what he says. So Frank is very upset about this. And De Niro does a pretty good job of uh, showing this sadness without really saying he doesn't want to do the job. Uh And you're kind of unsure throughout the whole scene if he's going to go through with it. But when he lands the plane, he drives past Hoffa and goes to the murder site, what's going to be the murder site, and examine it. And that's where Sally Bugs and Hoffa's son. So Hoffa's son wasn't in the building, was he? Not when he, not when he shot him. No. Okay, so it was Sally Bugs they, and, him, and a him and other Bugs. Guys. Him and Bugs were out in the car. Okay, and the other guys that were in the house were laying down plastic to clean up the blood. I'm guessing afterward. I guess I really don't know. I mean, I was trying to pay attention to that when when yeah, Frank I was in really... there. I'm not sure what they were doing. Yeah, I didn't pick that up. I just thought it was sort of a random scene. But again, at this point, I was like, there's so much random bullshit going on in this movie. I don't know what I should be paying attention to and what I shouldn't be paying attention to. But yeah, at this point, I think maybe they were setting up because obviously we know that Jimmy Hoffa was never found. Right. So there there was a cleanup crew definitely for this hit. Uh, They show him get cleaned up too, thrown into the incinerator later on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I bet those guys were putting up Uh, some kind of plastic or wallpaper to completely erase the murder. But when De Niro gets into the car with Sally Bugs and Hoffa's son, there's another great scene. They argue about the fish in the car. 
he says, you picked oh, up the yeah. fish. Why does your car smell so bad? He's like, oh, it's wet. The seat's wet because I had a fish back there. What was that all about? What was the point of that? I mean, I thought of it as a metaphor of, like, something smells fishy because they say that. He's like, what smells fishy? Uh, and he's like, there's a fish in the car. Interesting. I just thought I wrote down interesting dialogue. Smells fishy. There's a fish in the car. Uh, Den- um, uh, Frank Pacino. Pacino's character uh, Hoffa is definitely noticing something's not right. But he gets in because not only is his son in the car, but Frank but is in the Frank, car too. Who, who he who he trusts to the end of the world. Yeah, he trusts Frank to no end, and he should. Frank's been pretty much a bodyguard to him for, yeah. for years and years and years. So they're all in the car together eventually, but before they get there, they have that weird fish scene. And and the actor, I should say, that plays Hoffa's son is Jesse Clemens. He's uh, one of the stars yeah. of Breaking Bad at, in the last season. Yeah. I forget his character's name, but he's a total dick in Breaking Bad. And he's one of the main characters in the Breaking Bad movie, El Dorado. Yeah. So he's a pretty yeah. good actor. I like that guy. He, I, I like him too. He's also in Friday Night Lights. He has a role in the in the TV show, and he also has a role in a. He was in an episode of Black Mirror that's one of my favorites, where he plays this like computer programmer. He's a, he's a good actor. He does a good job. I guess his name's Clemens, not Clemens, but yeah, um, I like him. I think I called him Clemens the first time. Well, whatever. Good so, work. Yeah, Clemens or Clemens, whatever. whatever. Good work. So the same. Uh, that that crew all goes to the house and Hoffa and De Niro get there under the pretense that they're going to meet Tony Pro. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony Pro is not there, of course, and when they walk into the house, Hoffa immediately senses that it's a setup. He says, come on, even in his last moment, he says, come on, let's get out of here, not suspecting that Frank is going to be the one to kill him. Yeah, Frank pulls out the gun, pops him twice, and it's kind of weird when he shoots him. Hoffa yells. He or he doesn't. He oh, he, he grunts. You think that's yeah. how it is when you get shot in the head? You think he grunts? I he mean, that right was one, yeah. That was one thing that I found actually kind of refreshing about the film is that they didn't over dramatize the deaths. The deaths were very ugly, and like he even lands in a really awkward position, like against face against the corner of the wall, like, and it, it's. You know, death is not pretty. You know, yeah. there's a lot of times. A lot of times, these these gangster movies want to romanticize how they die, and they they spend their last breath trying to like stop the bullet and saying, "Oh, you betrayed me" or whatever. But it's not. It, I don't think it's like that. I think it's much more how they portray it in this movie, where it's just somebody you get shot in the head, and all of a sudden you lose all your motor functions, and your body just collapses, and you fall. And you make weird sounds and odd faces and fall against the door and slide down it and you're dead. Yeah, he he ragdolls it. <laughs> he ragdolls down to the yeah. floor and yeah, he does. He ragdolls. Drag him over. Yeah. So he leaves the gun on his body and he gets out and next thing you know he's back with Russ, who I guess Russ just sat in the car at the uh, little mini airport the entire time. That was one thing. I was like, how long did it take him to fly in this plane to wherever they went and get back there? And like, how long was the whole trip 
total? Like, was this the next day that Rush showed up, or? Uh, no, I think it was. He said three hours top for the whole thing. So. Yeah, and why does he hold his dark? Why does he hold his sunglasses? And then he gives him his sunglasses back when he gets back. I, I don't get that. I didn't get it either. And they didn't say anything during that scene, and I could see they were trying to go for a, a moment of sadness between the two, but. There's no way he's not going to say something like everything go okay or mm-hmm. have any tr- problems. And it, he just doesn't say anything. They just drive away. They're going to talk, you know. And I, I also yeah. thought it was weird that he sat there in the car and waited the whole time. But I guess he might yep. have. He might have left. Yeah, I, I don't know. But it just seemed a little strange to me. I was just like, all right, well, I guess this all happened very quickly. So, so um, they go on to the wedding that they were supposed to be attending which is the uh, Ray Romano's character Bill Buffalino they go to the wedding they have the wedding and then finally Anna Paquin's character and Frank's daughter finally speaks for the first time she asks out loud why he hasn't called Hoffa's wife yet Uh, so I guess that's their way of showing that she's finally fed up with his mafia bullshit and she calls him out on it because she really loved Hoffa. Yeah. So when when he dies and she suspects her dad of doing it, that's when she finally speaks for the first time and asks why he would have done it. Or no, not why he would have done it, but why he didn't call Hoffa's wife to console her. So then he does yeah. call Hoffa's wife. And I feel like that's the moment that he realizes what a piece of shit he is and that he made the wrong. Oh choice. yeah. Yeah. He starts stuttering and like breaking down and he becomes like this stuttering mess of, he's supposed to be consoling her, but he's realized just how big of a piece of shit he is. I think and how, how like wrong of a decision he made that to me is like one of the most important parts of the film because he starts breaking down and realizing Whoa, I fucked up. I, I think I fucked up real bad here. But for the most part, he has no conscience through this whole film. And even later when he talks to the priest, he talks about, no, I never felt bad. I didn't know their families and yada, yada, yada. It's like, he's a, what's a, what's it not? It's not a psychopath, but a sociopath. sociopath. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's like, a, he's like a sociopath, essentially, through this whole film. So they all get arrested pretty much right after this. Uh, they they get looked into heavily after Hoffa's death and Tony pro is arrested. Frank is arrested for buying a car at one point off of Hoffa for less than uh, what it should have cost. Uh, and they looked into him and sent him away for that. Russ gets arrested. Uh, they think that there's a rat in the crew and they, they suspected of being Sally bugs. It turns out it wasn't him, but uh, as a one last hit, they give him the Mo green special uh, which is a reference mm-hmm. to the Godfather. They shoot him right in the glasses, right through the eye. Uh, yep. There's a there's a, a killing of that nature in almost every mafia related show and movie since oh, the Godfather. Yeah, that's, that's always like a nasty hit when you see the the glasses explode and the bullet go through the glasses, sort of. Yeah, and that's that's the end of Sally Bugs, who for such a minor character, he his performance impressed me. Of, he left a lasting impression. Yeah, I liked him. And when I looked him up, I also found out that he was from Pittsburgh. And he seems like such a Pittsburgh guy. So it really yeah. it really stood out. I like I like the fact that when they're in the car and Jimmy Hoffa goes, can you see anything through those glasses? <laughs> and he goes, I can't see a fucking thing. And he goes, well, I'm glad you're not driving. 
so once they they kill Sally Bugs, it it cuts to them being much older in jail, and yeah. it's so pathetic. They're all just standing around this jail courtyard playing uh, what's that game? Playing bocce ball. Yeah, they're playing bocce ball in the freezing cold. Russ is in a wheelchair, and they have these horrible prosthetics on, or maybe it's CGI, where he looks like a troll. Pesci looks like a, a little troll, and De Niro looks so old, and they're talking about having colon cancer and cataracts, and he needs a cane. Hey, it's, be- they won't give hey, it's better, than, better than cancer of the prick, huh? Yeah, it's better than cancer of the prick. <laughs> he says they won't give him a cane because he's in prison, and they would give him some medicine, but it makes him feel loopy, and he doesn't like taking it. And it's just so pathetic. Yeah, and that's when we actually finally get to the appropriate age that these guys should be playing <laughs> at this point. They're just they're just so fucking old and so out of it. And like that, the funny part is like they use CGI to make them younger, and they use just a little bit of makeup and gray white hair shoe polish or something. Uh, to put on their hair to make it white and then all of a sudden wow they look old and it works out perfect because they actually do look old oh they look yeah. old as shit in this scene yeah and there's a callback to an earlier scene when they were uh, supposed to be young they were sharing this bread in in a diner or restaurant and they were drinking wine with their or they were dipping the bread in the wine and then eating it and now that's it that's interesting. I'm going to try that next time I go to a restaurant and I get bread and wine. Bread so. with wine dipped yeah. in? Yeah. It might be good. I'm not a big wine fan, but maybe the bread I could see it. Good. I could see it being t- – like, it obviously pairs well together because, you know, I know, I know it pairs well together, but now I have to think to actually dip the bread in the wine. That seems interesting. I'm going to try that. Well, once they're in prison, they have a loaf of bread between the two of them, and they get grape juice instead of wine. And this time – Pesci has to dip it in the grape juice because he can't eat it. He says he's so old that he can't even eat, chew the bread unless it's wet. It's, mm-hmm. it's, <laughs> oh man, he's, he's like eating this soggy grape juice bread just because he can't chew anything. And I don't need to see Joe Pesci like that. And yeah. I'm, I'm cool with that. Well, I was under the, I was under the impression that they actually had wine and they were sneaking in the wine through like a grape. It looked like grape juice. So, all right, maybe I, it was. Maybe it I was. pretended. I pretended it was wine. It might have just been actually grape juice. I mean, who knows? But they were at the age where they should probably not be drinking wine. They should probably just be drinking grape juice. He said, "You bring that good grape juice." But now that I think about it, that could have just as easily meant wine. He didn't want to wrap. Yeah, off that. that's what that's what I thought when I heard the good grape juice. So that's the last scene, pretty much between them. Uh, mm-hmm. Russ dies right after that, and of course, it's a 10, 15 minute montage of his death and the funeral and he talks yeah. about what happened to his wife he meets up with his daughter again and she finally talks a lot now now she's broken the ice but essentially she hates him and is scared of him she mm-hmm. she sees him for what he is uh he gets put into a retirement home rather than prison he gets released from prison and put into a uh, old folks home yeah and his daughter doesn't like him and that's when, as you said earlier, she was scared to let him protect her because she knew that he would kill people. And she yeah. didn't want to be uh, complicit in that. 
Yeah, and that's like that's one more reinforcement from the last two movies that we reviewed. The gangster life is a selfish way to go. Like your family always is going to be the one, even though you say you're doing it to provide for your family or to protect your family or all that stuff. Like the family is always the one who really suffers. The victim is always the family in these movies. Yeah. And the gangsters, the gangsters always do things that are just horrible for their family in general, like cheat on their wives or, or kill people. And like, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's just the concept of that is so played out in these movies and, yeah. and Donnie Brasco and blow in, in the series breaking bad. It's yeah. And the, the family, it's the same story. The guy's always like, oh, I wasn't doing this for the family. I'm doing this. It's like, all you're, you're obviously just tearing the family apart, you know? Yeah, like, you're murdering people. You're damning yourself and, and your family. Yeah. Because once just they like, find out that you're killing people or doing illegal things and they don't do anything to stop you, then they're almost just just as bad as you. Yeah. You're, you're bringing extreme life-crippling shame to your family right now by doing the things that you're doing. Right. So, yeah. So she hates him so much that he has to go and pick out his own casket. And the casket salesman is, I found out, a somewhat famous singer named Action Bronson. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not familiar with his I've heard. I've heard the name. I'm not familiar exactly with his stuff, but yeah, I've heard the name. So he's, he's selling this coffin to him like, what are you going to take home today? Would you like yeah. to go home in that one? He picks out. Well, I was, car. I was thinking, I was thinking, man, this this guy's not like a great actor or salesman, I guess, but you know, that's why he, he's not but, a really an actor. Yeah, so they got yeah, okay, action bronze because I know the name. Yeah, so that's basically uh, the end of the movie. There's one last scene where Frank refuses to cooperate with the feds, and they tell him, "Hey, man, everyone else is dead. There's no reason to hide." But the mafia code is he's, he just can't do it. He won't talk. So he will yeah. talk to a priest. That's how you find out about a story. He tells everything to a priest. But he will not cooperate yeah. with the feds, even when he's 90 years old and in a wheelchair. Well, and that's the confusing part to me. Is like if he never cooperated with the feds and never told a story, how do we know his story? Yeah. I, like, I guess uh, just what he told the priest. Just, it doesn't add up. Like the priest made a fucking biography about him. It just doesn't add up. It, it makes no sense in that aspect. Like they try to paint him as this picture that went down even. And he goes, Oh, who got to him? Cause they mentioned somebody's dead and they're like, who got to him? And they're like, cancer. Everybody's dead. You're the only person alive. And he's like, Oh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, he still thinks that when someone dies, when they're 90 years old, it must've been mob related. Yeah. He's like, no, who got cancer. to him? Who got him? Who got him? It's like, no, it's cancer. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And like, everybody's dead except for you. So you can tell us the truth. We're not, we don't care. And then he still is like, nah, you got to, I'm not going to tell you. And but he, he somehow, but somehow we know the story and it's written from a book of the confessions of this guy. So obviously Hollywood punched that one up there. Well, I took it as rather than tell the, the feds, he told this priest. And finally, the priest absolves him of his sins, which uh, that's a lot to absolve. He, he did a lot of uh, sinning. And then the priest gets up and leaves. And he leaves the door slightly cracked. Uh, I read online that that's 
meant to symbolize what Pacino had always done. I'm not Pacino, I should uh-huh. say, but Hoffa. And they did show his character slightly leave doors ajar, but I don't know what the point of that was. I don't know what they're yeah. going for with that. I don't know either. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, they really focused on it because at one point when they're staying in the hotel together, it shows Pacino oh, yeah. shut his doors but then leave it cracked. <laughs> I labeled that scene bedtime stories with Jimmy and Frank. Yeah, they, <laughs> they were having a little slumber party, but rather yeah. than shut the doors in both... their bedroom, he just leaves it yeah. cracked. They're both wearing their night, their night, nighty outfits or whatever. It's like, I guess since this is the fifties, people used to actually wear pajamas to bed. But uh, I mean, like, do you sleep in anything other than just underwear? No, I don't. And most of the time, I'm going to be honest, not even that. <laughs> like, I don't even sleep in that most of the time. Well, thank like, God these... that they didn't do that with Pacino and De Niro. Oh God, that would have been fucking hilarious if they'd have done that. Just. These two old iconic guys do a nude scene where they sit there and talk together. Actually, I take that it back. Be... That would have been hilarious, especially <laughs> if it was the same bed like Frank and Frank and Charlie from Always Sunny. <laughs> yeah, and they just lay down next to each other because they because there's like two beds in there, and then he goes into his own room. But there's like I thought for a second these two guys were just going to sit there and chat and chat and chat like and tell bedtime stories, and then go to bed together. And I was like, oh my god, this is just. <laughs> Uh, this is just more and more of this movie is just wrong to me. I don't know. I wish they'd have put that in there, actually, now that you said it. But, but <laughs> mercifully, that. the movie ends when the priest leaves him there alone in the retirement yeah. home. And I do see what they're going for there. It's it's the ending that not a lot of gangsters get. He doesn't end up dead or in jail at the end. But yeah. even worse, he le- he ends up alone completely. In his own mental prison. Yes, he's got no family, no friends, and he's just left there to die and and know what's going to happen to him at at the end of his life. When he does die, there's nothing there. And I'm not going to lie. By this point, I wish somebody would have come up and put a bullet in the back of my head because (laughs) I I was completely over the film at this point. Like I'm just I'm just getting through it just to finish my notes out. The third. For the third or fourth time in the film, they play this. It's it's kind of cool. It's that doo wop do 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 over over. Yeah, it's the most generic gangster music that you can think of. So I complained about how Donnie Brasco didn't have that doo wop feel that you're used to, and this is just yeah. Again, it was so pathetic. I don't need it. And I don't need it that many times. This was like, oh, Mason, you wanted some 50s doo-wop romantic gangster stuff? Well, here you go. I'll give you three and a half hours full of it. Oh, it just makes me want to pull out my eyeballs and ears. It was just over <laughs> and over. And uh, that's the closing song, even when the credits roll, which I was very thankful to not listen to it when I turned it off after that. It was and you know you know what's you know what's sad to me is I actually wa- I actually read a few reviews about this movie online, and people I think were just afraid to trash this movie for what it was. Like everybody wanted to love it, everybody really liked. It. And I I watched a, a review and they're like, oh, this is the peak of these guys acting, and they're all got. And I'm like, peak of these guys acting? Who? 
has ever done the peak of whatever they're going to do in their entire life at 77 years old. Yeah, agree. I I was looking forward to this movie. I heard about it being produced before it, it came out, and I watched it the day it was released on Netflix. I was so excited for it. And I even tried yeah. to convince myself that I liked it, but and I just conceded. I was like, you know, it really was boring and long. And I that song, God, that song. <laughs> the farts, he's <laughs> fucking farts. God damn you, farts. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to like it. I tried to force myself to like it. And I just cannot say that I liked it, all things considered. Yeah, I I agree. Like, I mean, there were there were specific moments, and I'm a fan of all these guys as actors, and I can't not get sucked into their acting. I think their acting was still phenomenal in many parts of this movie, but there are so many parts of this movie that just don't fucking connect and don't really. It's it's an amalgamation of stories of this guy's life. Who we actually come to find out don't even really care about. We just wanted to know about Jimmy Hoffa's story the whole time. Yeah, no one cares right. about the Irishman. He's just a yeah. run of the mill hitman. Yeah, the Irishman, like you were saying earlier, the good question is who is the Irishman? Because Jimmy Hoffa is technically Irish too. So is the Irishman this guy or is the Irishman Jimmy Hoffa? I don't know. And to be honest, I don't have any interest in, in even finding out anymore no. because it just. It was a wild ride of last cash grab for Martin Scorsese and all his friends, and they're getting out of town after this one. At at best, it was fan service. At worst, it was a cash grab. Yeah, in my opinion, because it was just moment after moment of cliche gangster things, and maybe that genre is is just dead. Maybe you can't come up with an original uh-huh. idea for a story. Maybe it's yeah. a, maybe that's a period piece. Uh, when you're talking about oh it's definitely like that was some of the most fun parts of it were the fact that it was a period piece and we could get into some 50s like the cars and the tvs and all the stuff that were like it was they they did a good job with that the budget was there like in that scene where they're blowing they're blowing up a bunch of uh taxis and all the taxis are old taxis from the way back and then they got cars from way back like that was the that was the the fun of the movie that but it was just sad yeah it, it was sad. it was fun yeah. but it was unoriginal i felt yeah i've seen all that before i've seen people put a, a gas soaked rag a gas soaked rag into a, a car gas tank and, and blow it up i've seen people do hits in restaurants and i've seen the yeah. mo green special in every movie i've seen the garrett mm-hmm. from the back seat in the car yeah so there was nothing original. I've seen these actors and, and a million things and they, they were good. They didn't do bad, but the CGI was so bad that I was distracted by that a lot of the time. And, yep. and then the runtime, I don't know why a lot of people it was painfully long. long. It was painfully, painfully long. long. Long does not equal good in my mind. <laughs> yeah. When we get now, to Lord of the Rings, I will say that that's a, a perfect perfectly fine length because you can't rush that story yeah. well that's three books that are all like you know five six hundred pages worth of information like that's great yeah you know, that's if we great. get to, when we get to that that's that's like you need that information with this movie i felt like 
there was I, I'm not even an editor and I could have looked at this movie and from my armchair edited a good hour of this movie and been like okay we got it down to two and a half hours which is still too long but this will be better yeah I mean for me like the whole story the whole story with his daughter like that we didn't even need that at no. all really and it was like, an insult to the actor I thought Anna Paquin, I don't know her from a lot of things, but I know her face, and I know she's, she's a not famous. Horrible. Yeah, she's a famous actor, and the fact that they had her on screen so many times, never saying anything, but just looking accusingly at her dad, and then he looks at her guiltily, and the scenes uh-huh. just dragged on. She never spoke. He never spoke. It was so many scenes of just and also like like oh, he's been doing a bunch of really bad stuff. And he doesn't feel bad about it at all until he looks at his daughter and she immediately goes, why haven't you called Jimmy's wife? Yeah, she's and, she's the good angel on his shoulder. Yeah, she's the good angel on his shoulder, but he she has no reason to believe that he's killed him. She has no reason to understand any of that world at all. It just makes no sense. Yeah, it, I don't it know. was just unnecessary. And Yeah, if, you, if you're defending this movie... You have been caught in the nostalgia of either these actors or gangster movies. I don't know what it is, but you can't watch this movie and defend it and and think that it was actually a really good movie. I like I said, I've never met an in the flesh person who has said they loved this movie. I've seen people that mm-hmm. say they liked it and they enjoyed it, but I've never heard anyone sing its praises. Certainly not to the tune of ninety six percent on Rotten. All Christmas. right. Well, on that note, what? Would you give it rating wise for the out of 20? The way I'm scaling it is if I would want to watch it more than once, or if I'm excited about watching it or enjoyed watching it, it would be 10. And if it's a great movie, it'd be higher. So I would want to watch it if I'd never seen it before, but I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. And I don't really want to watch it again. So I would give it a nine out of 20. Just yeah. because it doesn't have any rewatchability for me. Wow. After that's this. Full, that's below the 50% mark. So you, you think it's not even worth the first time watch, essentially. Well, it's worth, it's barely worth the first time watch. And then once I mean, I've watched it, it gives me regret. I agree with you 100%. And here's the, here's the fucked up part about this whole thing. I'm going to give it a 13. <laughs> Just because of the I, acting. Yes, because it, it this I, because I'm gonna fall victim to exactly what I said <laughs> is the horrible part of it is that like it has all the good actors, it has all the good everything smells like a good blockbuster Scorsese hit, and it's exactly what we want, except for it's not. It's fool's gold. Yeah, it should be a fucking eighteen or nineteen, and I'm gonna give it a thirteen because it's. It's it's it is watchable in the sense that there are great actors and directors at work here, and it is unwatchable because there is no real end game going on. There's maybe, just no real there's no real vision for the whole thing. Maybe if we were older, it would carry more weight with us. Uh, oh yeah, my parents loved it. They they thought it was just fabulous, and I was like. And they're also in their mid seventies, so they probably don't notice anything wrong. They probably just were like, "Oh yeah, we could do that. We could beat up people on the streets." 
Yeah, back then, I don't know. Maybe it was. It's it's for a different crowd. I don't see. That's why I don't get though, because the gangster genre is one of my favorites. And yeah, Goodfellas alone is easily in my top five favorite movies of all time. And this one had everything I like. You said it had everything I would want in a movie. Yeah, I and I even tried to make myself like it and just could not do it. It's the runtime is the biggest thing. Is because for me, yeah. a movie needs to be under two hours unless it's just amazing. If I see a comedy movie that's over two hours, I won't watch it. I'll watch long movies. I I like long movies, and I like movies with a lot of information. And this movie wasn't a lot of information. It was a lot of superfluous information, things that just didn't need to be there, and, and information that I didn't need to know. And and just it was just it felt like things weren't feeding the story. Yeah. It was hard to pick a favorite line from this movie because uh, there were a lot of lines that were pretty clever and good, but nothing that sticks with me. Uh, I did have a couple. You got? Yeah. You have a few as well. I have. I have two. I have two that I can go to. So what do you got? Okay. 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 Wait a minute. Um. Nah, that's a terrible one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> what he says... Okay, right, okay, right, okay. Yeah, it was, it was actually just uh, Al, uh, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro staring at each other, making different faces for 10 minutes. <laughs> they're they're and then, to sit down. And then Scorsese said, cut. Perfect. That's 10 <laughs> minutes down. No, so my, one of the, first, the first one I have is I work hard for them. When I ain't stealing from them. Yeah, that's uh, in reference to the meat company that. Yeah, the meat company. Said, so he steals from him, and it just rung true with me because I've actually been a part of businesses where I've been like their best worker, but at the same time, you know, they give you an inch and you start taking a mile, and you, you're like, yeah, well, let me get some, let me get some free shit here, by the way. Yeah, man. As long uh, don't incriminate yourself on the podcast. Well, you know, I'm not gonna say what business it was, but you know, that's the thing. That's that's why the the quote rang true to me because I was I definitely was their best worker, and I worked really hard for them all the time. But occasionally, I would take liberties, and I don't think it hurt them as a business in the long run. Well, I feel like but, if you're you in know. the food industry of any kind you should automatically have free reign over the food. So in his case with the steaks, maybe not entire truckloads of steaks, but he should be entitled to as many steaks as he wants, I would think. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. not as many, but at least some steaks. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like it's a, it's a careful game when you're in the capitalist bureaucracy system because everyone is essentially stealing from everyone else, but you just can't, you can't be the asshole that gets caught. Yeah. He gets out of it in the in the movie. He does yeah. escape it. So, like, yeah, he escapes in that. But it, but most importantly is, like, he served the company really well, except when he wanted a few extra steaks, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, not real. I mean, he probably cost him a shitload <laughs> of money with those gigantic wow. uh, semis full of meat racks. Uh, how much well, money do you think a truckload of? Uh, we don't know how like much he, we don't we don't know how much he actually stole. It showed so him opening an empty truck two or three times. Yeah, 
So he had an empty truck. I mean, that's like what three or four hundred dollars. You think? At the time, at the time, it's probably even less. You know? Ah, no, I I would think that a gig, like one of those legs of meat, one of those legs of steak, or whatever, that could go for a lot, man. Well, yeah, but I mean, you got to think about the time period too. Like meat was also cheaper back then. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess someone and it's older like than he us only right he only did it the one time because that's the one time he obviously gets busted for it and he like tried to skim a little here and there. It got him in the into uh, the mafia though, or as an associate of the mafia. Yeah, that's what got him into the big bucks. So he gets lucky and lands that crooked attorney. All right, so so what's your quote? All right, so when uh, when Hoffa gets the attempted assassination against him. He gives the speech about how great his son is for defending him. And then he lectures the entire audience. He says, so that's what you do. You charge at a gun. I charged the man. He came at me. I charged him. You charge a gun. You run from a knife. You got it. You charge a gun. If it's a knife, you run. (laughs) It's like giving this PSA on how to defend yourself from that. That was good. I liked I liked if you charge a gun, you always charge a gun. And you run from a knife. <laughs> and and, and the, it makes sense, too, because like you, if you charge a gun, you make them make a decision. They have to either shoot you or they're going to lose the gun. Right. But with, with a knife, you can run away from a knife and they're not going to be able to hit you. So it is, It's good advice if you're uh, ever going to be assassinated. Yeah. But the way he delivers it's pretty good, too. He, Pacino really is uh, really good in this one. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the other line I liked a lot was more of an entire conversation when uh, Hoffa's son and Bugsy or Sally Bugs are in the, the fish car and he says, you don't know what kind of fish it was. And uh, his son, Hoffa's son says, I don't know. There was a fish waiting for me there. And Sally says, well, I want to be able to explain this. <laughs> Like, yeah. <laughs> who's going to ask him what kind of fish was in the back seat? Yeah. They're so worried about it. It's such an extensive conversation. It is. And I don't know what purpose it serves other than, like, we were talking about the smells fishy situation or whatever earlier. But, but, uh, what's his name? What's the gangster's name? Bugs. Sally Bugs. Sally Bugs. He's like, he really keeps harping on it. And he's like, what do you mean? Like, what what kind of fish? Somebody just asked you to pick up a fish. Was it a cod, a herring? What kind of fish? Yeah. What kind of fish? Yeah. What kind of fish was it? And he's like really interested in what kind of fish it was. And it just seems like doesn't make any sense. I was hoping you would have something for me on that because I really didn't know what that was about. Was it? No, it, I, it I have meant no, a whole lot. Yeah, it could have. Like, I would have to rewatch it and really think about it, or maybe smoke a doobie and really think about it because that if they. If it was meant to mean something, it's deep. It's covered real deep. Well, I don't think Hoffa's son knew that they were going to kill him, right? No, he didn't. He yeah. was totally not in on it. So there should have been no code speak there. I, uh-huh. I don't think they ever really show why that, that particular crew is in the car together. Why would Sally yeah. Bugs be there with his son and his best friend? It just seems like a weird crowd to ride with and to get into the car yeah. Yeah, so so my uh, second quote was, three people can keep a secret, but only when two of them are dead. Yeah, I like that one too. I, that one it did stick out a little bit for me. Yeah, I thought that was pretty pretty good. Like, 
it's the idea of like, man, you just, you cannot trust anybody in this world. And that's thematically the, what we've been going through for the, the last film with Donnie Brasco and this one. It's that if you are a gangster in this world, do not trust anyone. No, don't trust anyone. And, and family is always going to be more important than anything else. Yeah, you're just going to end up dead. And even family, like, don't trust. I mean, look at Jimmy Hoffa. His kid drove him to the hit spot. And yeah. he didn't know he was doing it, but he, he was a patsy by proxy, sort of. I think he even went to jail at, when they were they're showing the gangster. And- yeah, they say something about the at the end of the movie about him being a patsy in that scene, and he didn't even realize it. But it's like, ugh, just watch your fucking back. And, and then there's an earlier scene where they execute a guy in a barber shop, and he's getting a shave. And I'm like, listen, if somebody... if if anybody ever would want to kill me, if I know that there's one person out there that wants to kill me, I'm never going to a barbershop to get a shave. <laughs> yeah, that, never do that. <laughs> yeah. Like, who, uh, like, who, it just, you're trusting your life with some random stranger. Well, that's one of the billions of scenes in a normal movie. We would have talked about that scene extensively. But in yeah. this movie, there were so many scenes. It was so yeah. long. I mean, that was yeah. a beautiful shot. Uh, they had the one guy standing there. I guess he was the lookout. And then the real gangsters walked in yeah. shortly after. And, and then they, they killed this guy. And even we didn't get for, to it. Yeah, for the gunshots, they zoom into the flowers. And it just shows the flowers while you hear the gunshots happening next door. And it's like, that was just an interesting shot to me. And, yeah, we can't even, I couldn't even focus on it because all the other bullshit that was going on in this film. Were you expecting blood to splatter on the flowers? Because I, I was, when I was watching the yeah, flowers, I, I was definitely, like, Here comes the blood. I definitely thought that was going to happen. Yeah, it didn't happen. So, Which is which made it even classier. Yeah, it was. I'll admit, I, if that would have happened, I would have thought that was even more of a cliche that was unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad they did. Yeah. And after talking about it a little bit, if I give some more credit to their direction that they were going in and give them more credit for what they were going for, then maybe I would rate the film a little higher, particularly well, that one scene, where, the military scene. But there are just too many errors. I mean, it is Martin Scorsese, right? I mean, yeah. he is a great director of our time, so it's not like he doesn't know what he's doing. It's just that like, he, for a minute, forgot what he was doing. <laughs> I don't know. Well, next week we're going to stick with Scorsese, right? And we're going to go with yeah, one of the true great, if not the true great. Well, no, I, I think it's it's universally agreed upon that the Godfather one and two is the standard for, yeah. for Italian mafia movies. Yeah, that's a that's a serious conversation that we could get into. But I would say the Godfather is like the Godfather of gangster movies but goodfellas is certainly goodfellas is maybe more popular i i can't even say i prefer goodfellas i've just seen it more times so i will say i prefer it but i might i might change my mind we're gonna do the godfather one day all three movies well i think the difference is like goodfellas is much more similar to this film because well it's scorsese and then the godfather is uh, in a league of its own because of the classy nature of the film. Like, it's just, it's just got a classy nature. Like, 
it really romanticizes, like, especially the first one. They go to Italy it, and they it, have the yeah, wedding. It, it humanizes the gangster in, and it's one of the first films that does that too. Where, where I remember reading a biography or an autobiography of Marlon Brando's, where he said that he would have gangsters that he would, if he was out at a f- function or whatever, and gangsters would come up to him and are Italians, and they would say. We loved you in that film because you really represented us, you know? Yeah. It, and it's weird how gangsters like to stick their neck out there to actors and let them know yeah. about their performance. Yeah, and it's sad, too, because, like, the movie does definitely obviously romanticizes gangsters because these guys are probably killers and murderers, but they're also humans. They're also – they also have certain family values that they follow, and uh, it that movie really makes them – seem like the 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 good guys that are forced to do bad whereas goodfellas is more like uh bad guys that are forced to do good every once in a while yeah and that's what we're doing next week is is goodfellas and then yep. at a later date we'll get around to godfather but that will wrap up the gangster movie or italian mafia trilogy Yep. We're not gonna we'll get back to some other gangster movies at a different time, but that'll be the Italian Mafia trilogy. Yeah, and that'll 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 sum it all up there. So that's the worst uh, graded movie we've done so far, and I'm glad I'm done watching it and glad I'm done talking about it. Amen to that. Oof, I thought we'd never get through that. Yeah, it it makes me want to go back to Donnie Brasco and just say, uh, Donnie, you're killing me with the draft. Donnie, you're killing me with this draft. So if there's nothing else for you to add, I don't have anything else to add either. Oh, that's good for me. All right. Well, in that case, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. All right. See you next week. What kind of fish? What? What kind of fish? I don't know, the kind you eat, a fish. You don't know what kind? No, I don't. Where'd you get it? What the fuck, at a, at a fish place. But she just go in there and say, give me a fish? Pretty much, yeah. You didn't say you want a salmon, you want a paddock, you want a... A fucking cod? What the fuck does it matter what kind of fish it was? Why are you so concerned about this I'm fish? I'm just trying to understand how... Does it... How a person can buy a fish and not know what kind it was. There was a fish waiting for me there. Uh, I didn't ask what kind of fish it was. I'm sorry. Your friend had already ordered this fish. Right. Because I want to be able to explain this if somebody asks me.